This is the Future of HR Podcast, Episode 20. I think older school thinking is train someone to be better at X, which is the business telling you what to do. Business is telling you how you need to grow. That's business-centered. To me, human-centered is how do you want to grow? And how do we align that to the business is? I believe more and more that employees are going to be looking like, how am I going to grow the way I want to grow in this Now, it's always going to be for the betterment of the bottom line. It's always going to be for driving the business. That's not the point. But the point is, I believe if this human can bring their whole person to work, if their voice is heard, if they're growing um, so they're not languishing and they have a mental fitness, that is how you accelerate the business. How can you build a human-centered, tech-enabled work culture? Why should your talent strategy always come before your tech strategy? Hi, I'm your host, J.P. Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. My guest this week is Larry McAllister. Larry is a strategic, energetic, inspirational senior leader who has led HR and talent at five Fortune 500 companies. Most recently, Larry was the vice president of Global Talent at NetApp, where he was leading a digital transformation of the HR functions and introduced an internal talent marketplace. In January 2021, he received the Top 50 Human Resources Professional Award by On Conferences. And now Larry runs the Corporate Humanist Consultancy, where he's helping CHROs and other executives to build cohesive talent strategies coupled with HR technologies to drive transformation. He is also a number one international best-selling author of The Power to Transform, a field guide to becoming a human-centered, tech-enabled work culture. In my years of knowing Larry, he's always played at the intersection of culture, technology, and human-centered design. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. During our conversation, Larry and I discussed his advice on how to interview and select your future boss, what HR leaders are getting wrong about HR technology, how to build an HR tech strategy that aligns to your talent strategy, his model to enable managers to drive high-performing teams, the key elements of human-centered design, and much more. Larry, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, JP, for inviting me. I'm super excited to chat with you today. I'm excited to chat with you too, hear about your new book and how things are going. But I want to start talking about your career. You know, you have had a really interesting and amazing career. Not only have you been a head of HR, you've been a head of talent multiple times, mostly in tech, but I know you had some experience prior to tech. And I'm interested from your point of view, what are the most challenging and rewarding aspects of each role? Yeah, so I think that this pandemic has been the great accelerant. And there's a lot of people who wanted to get married, got married. People wanted to get a dog, got a dog, right? If you want to get divorced, got divorced. It just moved everything faster. You know, if you wanted to quit your job, you quit your job. So for HR, I think that meant we had to get better at transformation. We had to get better at hybrid work. We had to get better at technology. It forced our hand to move quicker. So if you think of CHROs, I think the challenge there is 
positioning yourself as not only someone who talks to the board and helps CEO staff lead better, but be a forward-thinking person, right? How do we think about the future? Because the future is unclear. So being more forward-thinking and thinking about the entire HR strategy. For me, the past 10 years or eight and a half years, I was the head of talent. And to me, what a great time to be the head of talent. You know, this was when, and head of talent for me was talent acquisition, talent enablement, mm -hmm. transformation, and like culture and values. So to me, all the fun stuff. And that was the right. cool part of it. Really, all you're doing all day long is thinking about how to make employees want to work here, want to stay here, and want to grow here. So it's much more focused. And I think the relationship between the CHRO and the head of talent, especially during change, has to be very, very close. Because, and I was lucky, I followed my CHRO from one company to the next because we did such a great job thinking about the future and framing everything. Um, so that relationship is getting more and more symbiotic. Talk more about that relationship with the CHRO and why you followed your boss. What happens if it's not working out or you don't have a great relationship between your head yeah, of talent uh, and there CHRO? Are times yeah, there were times prior to her, before before I met her, Deborah McCowan, I was working at a small gaming company, reporting it to the CFO, which is an entirely different game, right? That's that's a different, you know, the vision is just different. So one time I got laid off many years ago, and that changed the entire way I looked at my career. I was like, I'm never going to do a job I don't want to do. I'm never going to take a role that I don't want. I really want to lay out my vision as I'm going into the interviews. And, and that's why I left that job so quickly, because when I met Deborah, we just both could see the future. We could both frame things. We would take a leap and break glass. And that's why we were super successful for two company transformations. That's awesome. And I think what's refreshing for you to talk about is that even at the executive level, how important it is to have a great boss and a good relationship. You know, sometimes you start to think, well, I'm executive. Does it matter? It's like, it does matter. Totally. I mean, the relationship with your boss, all I did in these transformations on the talent enablement side, we changed it from talent development to talent enablement. Because I wanted to enable managers and employees to have a better relationship. Rip out everything that was in the way of those two, like ratings, rankings, doing all these crazy development plans, write them up for being bad performers and say, let's just have honest conversations about the future. And the enablement part was to give them the best thinking, the best technology, the best listening devices. So that relationship got better and better. That To me, it's the core of any successful company is the manager-employee relationship. If you get that right, everything falls together. That's really interesting. So enablement was the vernacular used to drive that change. That's but it right. It sounds like it was mostly around mid-centered design. What's the easiest way to people have a good relationship and grow together? What's the easiest way to do that? And it was a talent strategy, a talent, a tech strategy tied together for transformation. And, and I thought like, you know, the term talent management feels like the old school HR. And I know it's widely used, so I'm not disparaging. But in my mind, it was like, I'm not here to manage you, right? You know, big bad HR is here to manage you. And I'm not collecting a bunch of forms. I'm not forcing you to go put goals in that you're not going to achieve or follow anyway. I'm here to say, what could I do to make sure you're having the best experience in this company? And you want to look inside for growth and outside for growth. That, that's what we thought enablement should be about. Yeah, it's interesting. I think there's definitely a debate sometimes of semantics and changing the names of HR to people operations or whatever the new vernacular is going to be. Is that going to change it? I think what you'll talk more about, I think, is not only did you change the term, you changed the approach and how you did it. Exactly. Right? So anyone yeah, who's thinking about changing the term of HR to people, team, yeah. or whatever. And you do the same stuff, right? You put, you know, you're putting a, you're putting a new coat of paint on a falling down house. 
our idea was to build a new house. That yeah. was the point of our, our strategy. And, and, you know, we could see it in the pulse surveys, how people feel like, you know, when, when people are saying in pulse surveys, especially during a pandemic, I really believe you care about us. That, that's above and beyond engagement, right? You care about me. You care about us. You care about my health and my growth. What better, what better thing do you want to see on the survey? That, that, cool. That's sticky stuff for a company. It is. That is probably one of the highest compliments that people feel like you actually care because it's, it's hard. We've got, you know, thousands of employees. I wonder if we go back. I'm curious, Larry, you probably have some good advice on how do you pick a great boss? How'd you go into that decision making? Because we all go in interviews. We get an hour or two with the people that we might be working for and we make a big leap and put our career in hands of people that we may or may not know. Right. Well, I have made mistakes. <laughs> I will be honest. There are times when you're young, I think when you're new to your career, you just want the job, right? You read the job description, you study the company, you understand like, are they, do they have similar culture and values to what I want? And I say, that's all secondary. That's all secondary to the relationship with your boss. So one, know what you want. What do you want in a boss? Like, I wanted someone to give me air cover and let me fly, right? That was my goal. And there were times when I didn't even talk about that. You know, you're in there, you're preparing, like you see all these posts for young people. Here's how to answer questions. The five best interviews. That, that's true, but you definitely want to be able to give a good answer. But you also want to be able to understand you're part of this deal too. You're interviewing them, right? And I think when you're younger, you don't think that as much. So you have to, what kind of style do you have? What if I'm acting, you know, what if I want to do this? What do you think about that? Like, I think interviewing the manager and the recruiter will give you their view of what the leader's like, but they're sort of selling them to you. It's really your job to say, this is what I want to do. This is my style. What's your style into these two mesh? Even if you don't get the job, even if you think it's a dream job, I guarantee you that dream turns a little nightmare if you and your boss don't get along. Great advice. Thinking about what do you want first and then going in with, you know, how do you kind of poke and prod and a test in that interview to say, hey, how supportive would you be if I did this? Right. And for bosses too, I think future bosses who are interviewing, you know, be open to some of those questions. I think some Absolutely. people get put off by that, but really you shouldn't be. I mean, I think it's great when someone says, well, you know, I'm really ambitious, would love to be promoted the next two years. Is that possible? It's like, yeah. Yeah, great. Um, if you perform. Right, you know, totally. Come in and kick butt. I think the power has shifted a little bit to talent coming out of this pandemic. It's always going to be the boss and the company because they're paying. You know, you're getting paid. But the dynamic has shifted that I think people are much more open to getting to know the people at a human level as opposed to just a resume level. And so I think the power has shifted a little bit, you know, 10 degrees towards talent. So you can be much more thoughtful, open, and caring about what this job is and who this boss is. And then when you're higher up in the org, say to VP or an SVP, you want to interview the CEO. Right. Because the CEO is approving your budget. The CEO is approving your transformation. They have to help you being the mouthpiece of what you're trying to do. So this higher up you go, it's more than just your boss. Right. That CEO staff really has to be on your side and, and want to vote for you when you're making change. Yeah. And it's such an important point because you know, who are you reporting to as well, whether it's into finance you know, or is it reports to the CEO? Those right. do give some signs about how people feel about HR. And it's important to understand the investment and commitment you're going to have. And I think, right. And the second part to that is, you know, what I ask I, during, I'm doing the so consulting now, I even asked it when I'm interviewing with the CHRO, what's your relationship with the CEO? That's the first question I ask. 
what's going well, what's not going well, what are you hoping to achieve, what's in your way. Because when you understand that relationship, you know how fast or how slow you're going to be able to go. And that's what I try to figure out as I'm consulting and even if you're interviewing. If they're like, well, I'm still trying to get them to come around, <laughs> right? That's a, that's a warning sign. <laughs> so I think it's important the higher up you go the, to understand the whole CEO staff. You recently left your corporate role at NetApp to launch the Corporate Humanist Consultancy. Tell us more about what the firm's all about and why you decided to start a company. So a lot of it is around this. And I use the transformation a lot. That's the name of the book. But truly what I was trying to do is say, I've done it. With help, I don't want to say Larry did it all, but a great team, a couple of great consultants or whatever. But for the past eight and a half, 10 years, we did transformation in companies that were either super growing or changing their business model. And what I want to do with this book, the first word I had and with this consultancy was a field guide. I didn't want to write a theoretical book about transformation. I just want to say, here's how I did it. Here's how we did it. Here's the steps. Follow this. You should feel that you are a transformation expert when you're in HR. Because whether you believe it or not, your company is probably in some kind of transformation. You're growing, you're shrinking, new product, new business model, you did acquisitions. There's change constantly happening. And if you have a model to follow, so you don't have to go write a million dollar check to some big giant consultancy, you can do it. And as I was going through this past company at NetApp, people were like, you should write a book. You should write a book. <laughs> so I was like, that's a good idea. So writing the book and starting the consultancy are joined together. And what I hate is how HR is perceived sometimes in the media. It's like the old school, oh, HR is here to get you in trouble. And I want to help HR leaders be like, we are way beyond that. We are way beyond that. We are transformation technology and cultural experts. And here's how you can do it. And I, some of the lesson in there is, and we use this, you know, sometimes we're going to break glass. And that that's, you know, I know you had Mark Efron on. I used one of his one of his papers around three ways transformation fails. And that's what we use. It's like, you don't have the right people, you don't have the right vision, or you go too slow. And to me, going too slow is what kills transformation. So people are afraid to make a mistake. And this book says, don't worry about that. Here's how you recover. And here's how you keep the train rolling. Yeah, so it sounds like it really, it's a personal mission for you, not only to make this impact, but really to talk about HR as a value driver, which I think it really is. I think what you're doing with this podcast is similar, right? You're trying to help the industry and then bring, bring people together to understand new ways to do things. And like I said at the top, the pandemic has made that even more of a reality. We, everyone had to figure out what hybrid work means. Everyone had to figure out how to think about well-being in a new way. Everyone had to figure out how do we manage, how do we have to have new technology? That, that forced the issue. And this book is trying, this consultancy is trying to help people do that faster and more consistently. Well, it's definitely needed because I think HR sometimes suffers from an inferiority complex that other functions just don't have in terms of not believing our methodologies, believing that we are the culture experts, we are the people analytics experts, we are other things like how you design jobs and roles and get performance. I mean, if you want people to do things and get things done, HR can have a huge impact. And Absolutely. so I, I'm really glad you're bringing this book out. So the book's Power to Transform. I think it, this field guide is a really great concept. But you also are known as an advocate in HR technology, something you've really been, I think, as long as I've known you, you've been really passionate about and its impact on the employee experience. I'm curious, what do you think HR leaders are getting wrong about technology? I think a couple of things. <laughs> the first one is they don't see themselves as technologists, right? They're either waiting for IT or their HR ops folks to bring technology to them or their benefits folks or whatever. And I think that's a mistake. 
I, I had my own epiphany about five years ago. I started looking at the new HR talent market, which has exploded, right? I think $20 billion of investment in the past year or two in HR. So we're in the golden age of HR technology. And if you don't believe you're a technologist, you're behind. Some of the ways I got funding for this new technology was to say, I can't hire you an A player because I can't go fast enough in the market unless I have technology to do that. I think you're falling behind. Every year you don't invest in technology, you're falling behind. So one is be a technologist. Two is to have a clear, comprehensive talent strategy. That's the first thing. That's the, the communication. How I teach it is activate yourself, activate the team, activate the enterprise, and activate the future. What are the theories behind those four things for your, if you have a great individual, that makes a great team, that makes a great enterprise, that makes a great future, and that individual wants to stay, right? It's a beautiful cycle. So once you have that talent strategy, which takes, you know, I delivered it early, but executing on it takes two to three years, but the vision to follow it. So once you have the talent strategy cohesively communicated, constant, then you bring in technology to accelerate, to accelerate that experience, to accelerate that talent. And I think people look at technology as a, let me go turn this on and hope it works. You never get the exponential power of that because you're not, you're not driving a strategy. You're just turning on a piece of software. And that's where you see them fail. You see, we turned it on. It didn't work. We had to turn it off because the upfront hard work with strategy wasn't done correctly. So really what HR is getting wrong sometimes is that we fall for the bright, shiny object. The great demos, which the demos were always amazing, yeah. right? But not really thinking through what's the talent strategy for the organization and how would technology either enable that, speed it up, and what values it add for, right. the, what? for the employee how is, how, is it, how is it propelling the strategy, not what is this one piece of software going to do? I think that's, that's a huge gap, and that's a big part of what the book and the consultancy about. And I even, you know, if you pre-buy the book, I have a 15-minute video explaining that whole talent strategy, and it's super easy. But that that carried me through for eight years. And, you know, we brought in two and a half years at NetApp, we brought in seven different technologies. Hmm. And every single one of them fit on that that circle, on that ecosystem of talent strategy. There was a reason for it. It was understood. And, and it, they all worked better together. So you get exponential ROI. And just so I think to make it even more clear, because I know you wrote the field guide on this, let's talk about the talent strategy. What are some of the pieces that people should be thinking about inside a talent strategy and then how maybe technology fits with that? Yeah. So for us, like I said, at the company before at Equinix, we were trying to go from 3,000 to 9,000 employees. So everything was about growth and making it easier. So we did a similar thing around your career and why do you want to stay here as we're growing? That was really the basics. It was about career and performance. So that was the core. That was the brand. And underneath that was, well, what are individuals? What do we expect for individuals? And what are you going to deliver to individuals? As we're growing, it's you're constantly hiring. There's constantly new people coming in the building. Teams are growing. New groups are coming together that have never been together. So we had to figure out how are we going to surround that? And that one was more about core technology. What's we brought in the first ATS, we brought in the first LMS, we brought in the first pulse survey. And that idea was to teach people, if we're going to grow this fast, we have to go as fast as possible. And the only way to go as fast as possible is to have a strategy and have technology to make it happen. And then here at NetApp, we were moving from storage business to a cloud business. So that's a big shift. So the idea was, how do you have high performing teams? And that's what that, that circle I talked about activate yourself, activate the team. That was called the Thrive Ecosystem for High-Performing Teams. So that was one message. 
of how do we get better at hiring. So, you know, the first Pulse survey was all about barriers to execution, silo busting, right? Get the data from the survey. And now when you have six or seven pieces of technology, there's so much data behind that that can inform your future. And that's how we got really quickly to our hybrid work environment was we listened to the employees, what they were asking their coaches about, what they were doing in their talent marketplace, what the Pulse survey was saying. Stitching that data together makes you such a smarter HR talent person. <laughs> You're just so much smarter because everyone's a data company. So if you could bring that kind of integrated data, it sells itself. It sells your strategy itself. What recommendation do you have for someone who comes and says, I'm overwhelmed, right? I've got all these areas. I want to make sure I'm listening to my employees. I want to make sure I've got maybe talent mobility. I want to make sure I've got, you know, talent management, performance management. How does it all fit together? Is there one vendor that puts us together or do you have to kind of just sort of build the plane? And then, so there's, this is where we have gone. It used to be the big guys did everything. Workday, SAP, Oracle. They, you bought one and you just waited for them to innovate. And if you think of it, they're never going to innovate as fast as a small company. So advancement of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and APIs, where you bolt these softwares onto your big guys, that is the fastest way to innovate. Now, we're starting to see some of these big guys. I think we're going to start swinging back a little bit. I think we're going to start seeing more consolidation, maybe more acquisitions. But I still think big guys acquiring little guys is never going to be as fast as trying to bolt little guys onto the big guys. That's sort of the goal. So I think one is um, just get a sense of what's out there. But number one is when you build your talent tree, what is the biggest need? What's the biggest problem? Like I said at the company before, it was just get the basic core stuff. Here it was to enable people to change. And so the first thing we worry about is I don't know what's going on with this employee base. That was our biggest gap. I don't know. I hear people talking about stuff that happened 10 years ago and still you know, on old files. So I was like, I need to know what employees are thinking, what they care about. So that was the first thing I brought in. And then I really believed like, all right, if we're going to have people engage and energize and grow themselves, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to afford a whole bunch of new trainings. So I brought in a coaching platform, BetterUp, which is the best way for an individual to grow on your phone. You have a world-class coach who is helping you grow in a whole person approach, right? So that was so good during the pandemic, right? So one is you started seeing backend data, you know, anonymized before the pandemic. I want to have a clearer vision to explain to my team and I want a better relationship with my boss. Then as the pandemic hit, the data was, I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about my team's health. I'm worried about my aging mother. So it was a lot more personal stuff. And during the pandemic, work-life balance disintegrated. The line between work and life, there's no more line. So having an, a coach individually, that was part of that activate yourself. How do you have more fuel? How do you not languish? So those are the first two I brought in. I need to know what's going on and I need individual growth the way they need it, which was a godsend. During- the foundation of that was really understanding what that team member or employee base needed and was focused on. And Let's talk about some of the listening tools and surveys that you use. Is there something not, not to recommend vendors per se? But how, yeah. I guess, how do you build that out? And how do you respond to it quick enough? Like, what's your team look like to be able to do that? Because I think the challenge is always, we ask a survey. That's a great question. And can I, I respond have a great answer. enough, right? Great question. You know, I have a great answer. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> so one, there, I would say the two different kinds of surveys are non-AI and ones that have artificial intelligence. So that's one way you go faster. 
when I was coming up, when we were coming up, you got all this data and you would look to the lowest score and then you would read the comments and in your head say, oh, I know who that is. Oh, that guy is a jerk or that doesn't happen anymore. And you just, you, you were just hurt as an With AI, it says, here's the most important question for your team. This is the biggest one question, the lowest one that's affecting everything else. So what we said, like I wanted to democratize everything. Don't expect me or my team to analyze all this data and then come down the mountain and tell you what you need to do differently because each team has an individual, say, problem with engagement. So what we did when we were looking for vendors is what is the best vendor that helped guide managers to pick the right thing? Mm what would they do when they got that information? So I'd rather have 900 managers moving 900 needles than waiting for corporate to come down the mountain and give you something that it's too late. It's too late. So we combined the activate yourself was have quarterly conversations individually with your boss about your future and the activate the team. The first technology was sit down with your team, look at this data that's AI curated. They, they roll up the comments to give you a higher level what the comments mean and pick one thing Take two actions, communicate with your team three times, and we'll see in six months with the next one. So at the CEO staff, we looked for big things, bigger long-term things to fix, but the real power was AI-enabled in your hands immediately for you to take action with your team. So that's, that's the change for me. Yeah, that's big. You said, I think two things. One, when you looked at how you picked a partner, you really flipped it on, okay, how can we execute this from a manager behavior? Can they implement this? Can this what's their to, enablement strategy? Yeah, can they, what's their name? Can they do something with this? Not me and my team. Again, you're putting the core customer of who's going to use this, which is the right. manager and that team. And can they use that? Number one. Number two, I love that the simplicity of, hey, you pick two things and then communicate three times. Talk about the communicate three times because I think we all know pick less but maybe I haven't heard the communicate three times as much in man. Yeah. So the thing is, and this is, this is at every level for everything that HR has. To, I think there's a big gap in how HR helps businesses move. So at the executive level, you'll do a talent review where you'll talk about, you know, maybe all the VPs and then you have another talent review six, six months later. And what's happened in those six months? What was the mechanism to drive change during those six months? So that's what we wanted managers to do. So, okay, over the next six months, at your team meetings, at least three times, talk about how you were moving the needle on the one question. You said there was one thing you were going to work on, you're going to take two actions. How's that going? I don't want managers to go away and feel like, oh, you know, oh, I'm hurt, or I got to go fix this for my team. That's not the point. The point is not for you to be judged by your team. The point is to make the team better. So three times, and a lot of them did more. Some people said, hey, every time we come for a team meeting, we're going to at least talk about what's going on and, and is this sermon. Because you should be able to predict what the next survey is going to say, at least on that one thing. Yeah. Right? You shouldn't be surprised at that. If that number goes down, you didn't follow this one, two, three methodology, I'll tell you that. Got it. So pick one thing, one main theme they're focused on, two actions to address that theme, communicate at least three times during that six-month time frame. Right. And then get remeasured again to see if you moved. And, and next, yeah. hopefully that and the score goes up and you have a new one to work. <laughs> that yes. would be the goal, right? You're always trying to make the team better, trying to make the team better. Because I, I don't want you to be a data scientist like we had to be in the old days where you had all of this data and it's just overwhelming and you would just go for the lowest score. But with AI, it says the lowest score may not be the worst score because it may not affect everything. 
AI is able to say, this is not the lowest score, but it has the biggest impact. So this is the one you should work on. So don't be a data scientist, get an AI enabled tool and work with your team. I, I think that's really good insights. I like the one, two, three. It's simple, easy to remember. Yeah, not get overwhelmed. Right. And speaking about being overwhelmed, we talked a little bit about this, but if you're a new HR leader or CHRO or responsible for building out the tech stack, how would you think about this again? You talked about the problem, but where should they start? Is it listening? Is there something else? Yeah, it depends on the problem for sure. I'll, but I think listen, if you don't have an AI-enabled listening, you are not informing your talent strategy. You're guessing, right? So, you know, our company was a data company. So bringing data to the CHR, the CEO table was super powerful. And that was able to execute the strategy. So listening, I think, is core. And then understand what your strategy and what the gaps are. So once you have the listening, then you're like, oh my God, here's what we got to work on. You already generally know what your strategy is, but here's more specific. So that's a common one. But I think what we did and what I would recommend is two things. One, we had a business advisory group of VPs from around the company who I was constantly bringing in to talk about the transformation. So two powerful things there. One is you have someone who's like, that won't work in my organization, or I don't like that, or this is what I would need differently. Super helpful to build a strategy. The second most powerful thing is, if you're doing it right, you don't have 12 advocates around the company who are driving your transformation. And then when you go to CEO staff and you say, these 12 people are already behind this, it just lends so much more credibility. So that's one. Two is we did an HR parade, an HR tech parade. We brought in 16 vendors we had. A manager, HR people, IT people in there. We figured out what our evaluation method was going to be. And we looked at 16 different vendors. And the beauty of that is it was mind blowing. You know, you, we broke it down to what do we really want? We wanted a talent marketplace. We wanted an AI matching recruitment tool. Those were really the two big ones. And we brought 16 in. We picked the two. And that was our second year of the, the year. We call it the year of tech. We brought in three actually things. We already had two. We added three. And by the end of the year two, we had five brand new technologies that fit onto that talent strategy wheel. And that's where the acceleration. That's a great idea on the HR tech parade because you're really, really optimizing your time and able to see what's happening in the marketplace and get smart really quickly. And I would say have the tech parade, whether you know what you're doing or not, right? We knew what we wanted to do, but just do it for, I just want to know what's out there. Have these vendors come talk to you and ask them, who's your competitor? Right, who are you in the market with, and and you know learn more and more. There's a lot of there's a lot of H, super HR tech evaluation groups that you could work with, but just hearing it and understanding it and comparing them, I think, just makes you smarter. And then you could say, all right, here's what I'm after, and then bring them back for a true presentation. But we went to four conferences over the summer and spring, or summer and and fall, and every vendor at those conferences was an HR tech. So understanding what you want and then bringing in competitors to pitch to you, I think is a great first step. And then you can understand how to implement, which is you, the hardest way to implement it is if you're just trying to turn it on. The easiest way to implement it is if it's tied to your strategy that's already known. And you're like, remember we said this is what we're going to do? Well, here's how we're going to do it. That's how change management works, not just turning on a system and begging people to go into it. Right. I think the rocket fuel you added was the advisor group, the VPs, the business leaders who were brought along, feel like their input was taken into consideration. And there are your advocates when the decision's made that they're moving forward, they're excited about it. And that was in direct response to your question. If you're a new talent person, a new CHRO, you're the new guy, you're trying to get your word out there. Now you have 12 people who are helping you shape your view because you're brand new. And then they're your champions and your partners. 
So that's a great way to get a new person off the ground quickly. And it definitely worked for us. Uh, that's a great suggestion. Say you're an organization that doesn't have as much investment capability, right? You know, maybe a little bit more frugal and you're looking to make an impact on HR tech is beyond listening. So I think that sounds like that's the first place you would go. So you're not guessing. Are there other areas you think there's really significant ROI that the HR tech space is playing out and others that maybe the ROI is a little bit farther out? Yeah. So there's, I guess there'd be two ways to look at that. One part of an HR tech stack is what I call enterprise wide. So a talent marketplace where you're doing gigs, you're doing new jobs, maybe getting a mentor, right? That's enterprise wide. And that's usually going to be more expensive. And I wouldn't recommend that you do that for a pilot because you're slowing yourself down, you know, to really get the benefit out of that. You want everyone in the company be engaged in it. So if you're super small, that, that may not be where you go. So what are things that are non? that are non-enterprise wide. One was coaching. Like I said, was one of the first things I brought in. We did it as a pilot. We proved it and then expanded it and made it much more of an almost a, so maybe a pilot if you're small with an, with a, you want it to go enterprise wide, but you don't have to start it off. And the, the group that we use, one of their survey questions for the people who are getting coached is how did you rank your coaching session? And the top question is life-changing. And we had, between life-changing and, I can't remember the second one, something like extremely powerful, we had like 60, 70% of our employees check those two boxes. Wow. So when you're able to bring the word life-changing to get an investment, it goes yeah. along. And then we were able to just expand and expand and expand and turn that into ongoing cohorts. And that helped really have individuals grow. And then during the pandemic, it was just, you know, you can't go wrong. People kept asking to do another six months, another six months. So I think, Maybe breaking it down to non, you don't have to start enterprise-wide or enterprise-wide. I would just say that's a good dividing line. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Start small and pilot, build the audience, prove the need, show the ROI. And then you have people on the team where this this person saying, oh, my coach is great. I love my coach. I talk to them three times a week. And then their team's like, well, I want to get a coach, right? The word of mouth starts happening. And, you know, so you're coming at it from both ends. One of the things you talk about is, I guess, we're talking a lot about tech, of course, and I think that's an area that is is a hot topic. But you call it human-centered tech-enabled workforce. And maybe the human-centered piece, just come back to that a little bit, why that's so important or what that means to you. Yeah, to me, I think older school thinking is train someone to be better at X, which is the business telling you what to do. The business is telling you how you need to grow. That's business-centered. To me, human-centered is, how do you want to grow? And how do we align that to the way the business is? What's the, what is the Pulse survey telling us? What is the coaching data telling us? That's very human-centered. It's your voice and your whole person. Those were the first two things we brought in. And that was very focused on bringing new tech in to make your life the center of this company. And the pandemic helped us with that. But I believe, I believe more and more that employees are be looking like, how am I going to grow the way I want to grow in this company? Now, it's always going to be for the betterment of the bottom line. It's always going to be for driving the business. That's not the point. But the point is, I believe if this human can bring their whole person to work, if their voice is heard, if they're growing um, so they're not languishing and they have a mental fitness, that is how you accelerate business. The other piece I would I bring in there is, 
if you are focused on your development, if people are smart enough, they're adults, they know what's going to help the business. That's so right. they're already making the alignment. We don't have to align for them. They're understanding that that skill makes me more valuable and I can get promoted. Right, exactly. You know, if you're sitting down with your team, talking about how we make the team better and you're talking to your coach, how I make myself better. And then I'm at the talent side getting all this data to understand which way the business is going, which way people want to go. And it's my job to tie those two things together. That's, that's symbiosis again. All right, last question for you, Larry. What is one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? I think it's going to be mental fitness or well-being if we want to do one word. Maybe we'll switch mental fitness into one word. I do think more and more this idea of driving people's health tied to growing the business is going to be a big focus. And I did some research around like EAP models EAPs, assistance plans or programs, they have like 4% engagement. So we've always invested in the idea of mental fitness, but we never did anything with it. So I think HR has to drive this idea of mental fitness tied to everything else we talked about today. But I think that's going to be a new way that we think about growing humans inside a company. Larry, well-being, mental fitness. The book is Power to Transform. Larry, thank you so much for being on the Future of HR today. Thanks, JP. It was a great chat. This went fast. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, Larry. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. Thanks again to Larry for sharing his insights on how to build a human-centered, tech-enabled work culture. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. And if you're enjoying Future of HR, be sure to subscribe and please help us spread the word to other next-gen HR leaders like yourself. We'll be back next week with Kevin Oakes, CEO for the Institute for Corporate Productivity, also known as I4CP, which is a human capital research firm that discovers the people practices that drive high performance. In our conversation, Kevin and I will discuss his book, Culture Renovation, 18 Leadership Actions to Build an Unshakable Company, which is based on years of research and offers pragmatic advice for anyone who wants to future-proof their culture. Thanks again for listening to the Future of HR and being part of our community.